On this episode of Modern Practice is part two of our series on surgical quality improvement. In it, we discuss what hospitals and providers need to keep in mind to make it happen. Joining us again is Dr. Rick May, orthopedic surgeon and senior principal for clinical quality improvement at Vizient. Rick, welcome back to part two. Thanks, Tom. Always great to be here. So margins are at an all-time low for many organizations, Rick. And considering many other disruptions that occur in healthcare, why is surgical quality important? How do we elevate this? Tom, it's an interesting idea. If you think about how hospitals function today, and you can argue this is a good thing or a bad thing, the way hospital financing works. But right now, hospitals tend to get paid much more for their surgical and procedural work than they do on their medical work, which always struck me as kind of strange, right? We sort of joke when I was a resident, you had the medical guys that knew everything and did nothing, and you had the surgery guys that do everything and know nothing. As it turns out, and I guess if you look at the world that way, then the surgeons, because they're doing stuff, get paid a whole lot more. But as you know, surgery really is the cash engine for most hospitals right now. Mm -hmm. The numbers, I think, are roughly in the range of most hospitals, surgery represents about 60 to 70% of revenue, about 50 to 60% of margin. So really the financial success around surgery really determines at the end of the day, the hospital's overall financial success. Is there any leveraging capacity for negotiating with payers based on quality? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we can talk in a minute about the pure upside in terms of just really avoiding cost by having better quality. But if you think about it, the ultimate group that bears the expense when things go less than perfectly really is the payers. And payers, I think, obviously, they're very, very focused on trying to reduce their costs. And traditionally, I think they've done it in some relatively blunt ways. The case management we've seen over the years has not been, I think, as focused on qualities that needed to be. Mm-hmm. But you can really, I think, make the argument today based on modern research and the data we have available is today that to say, from a payer standpoint, if you really want to help the payer overall, the best way to do it in this day and age is to bring to them a higher quality product because in their world, basically better quality means less cost. And certainly from the hospital standpoint, it's obviously behooves the hospital to support quality as well. Many organizations tend to come to us at Vizient, Rick, because of their national scorecards and particularly where they rank nationally, which is very important to them. Yep. So how does surgical quality improvement affect national scorecards? Well, if you think about what goes in the national scorecards today, it's a broad range of metrics. And that's one of the biggest challenges we see with hospitals today, that hospitals struggle because if you think about all the major systems that are out there, mm-hmm. there's CMS stars, there's all the CMS pay for performance, there's LeapFrog, there's HealthGrades, there's US News, and then most of the major insurance companies now, most major payers, United, Blue Cross, Signal, all have their own quality programs. So one of the biggest challenges we see with hospitals today is how to get your arms around these literally hundreds and hundreds of different metrics. How do you understand how you're doing in them, what your quality look like, and really how you drive performance across so many different metrics. What we talk about is when it comes to surgery piece, if you think about it, surgery impacts so many different metrics, so many different levels. I mean, there's some very specific ones, obviously, like within hack penalties, there's several different of the hack metrics that go in that are specifically post-op, things like acute renal failure and hemorrhage. But even more broadly, there's broad-based metrics around things like sepsis and surgical site infections, things like that, that have very, very specific metrics tied back to surgery. So when it comes to overall performance, and surgery and quality improvement doesn't guarantee that you're going to improve every score every time. But by having a broad-based surgery quality improvement program will absolutely help your scores consistently across every scoring system in the U.S. So I see why this is important for the organization, but what impact does surgical quality have on the surgeon? I mean, really, are surgeons being compensated tied to them or should they be? Well, that's actually a great question. There's probably two answers. One in the short term, there isn't that much really tied to quality. Tom, if you look at how surgeons are paid today, especially the employed surgeons, for the most part, they do have basically a baseline salary plus. Pretty much everybody has some type of performance bonuses, say performance metrics built into their contracts. 
the challenge we see is that most of those today are based more on process metrics, meaning are you doing the right stuff, which isn't a bad place to start. But at the end of the day, if you think about it, what you really want to see from your surgeons is a higher level of outputs, better outcomes. I really support the fact we start tying back more of that compensation to specific outcomes on where things like complication rates, lengths of stay, even things like reoperations over the long term. Now, here's the challenge. If you think about it, as you mentioned before, is that because most complications that occur around surgery today are not technical and they're not in the hands of the surgeons, that's maybe, again, 10% of all the complications, most of the things that drive quality in most hospitals today is really about those medically related complications. And the way you fix those is not by demanding your surgeons do something differently. It's really about having a well-developed, very sophisticated system for pre-op evaluation, really optimal interoperative work with the anesthesiologist in terms of post-operative care and the care teams that you use. So I think it's absolutely appropriate to bonus those surgeons based on their outcomes. But if you're going to do that, make sure you have a system in place that the surgeon can participate in that can really drive that overall quality picture. You know, Rick, we've been discussing often how procedures that you and I couldn't perceive even five years ago being done in the outpatient arena are now being done in these ambulatory surgical centers. Yeah. Does that further complicate what we need to do in reference to surgical quality? <laughs> Oh my gosh, Tom, absolutely. It's amazing if you think about it. The in-hospital world, you think about there's a lot of advantages of doing things in a hospital. I mean, the downside is it's much more expensive than a lot of other settings. The upside is you've got a lot of resources available, right? You've got imaging and you've got specialists and you've got a lot of nursing support. And so when things go south in the hospital, you've got a lot of backup. The challenge, which I think is a tough one, right? Because there's clearly been a lot of advantages in moving a lot of these surgeries to the outpatient setting, either purely, purely outpatient, done in a hospital on an outpatient basis, or more so we're seeing is this huge push to push things out to an ambulatory setting like an ambulatory surgery centers. That does make the whole quality picture much more complicated because now if you're doing ambulatory surgeries, you have to think about, okay, who is doing now the evaluations? Who is doing the optimization? It isn't like if you take a hip replacement patient into an ASC that somehow they're magically more healthy, that they don't need to have that same sophisticated evaluation on the front and the optimization, that same ability to have very, very sophisticated care teams on the back end. You still have to have those things in place. The question, especially for hospitals today, is how can you extend your perioperative program beyond the inpatient, beyond the outpatient, out to that ambulatory setting? And really at two levels. One is to help you decide who's appropriate to do as an outpatient or is it certainly in the ASC, but also what kind of resources are we going to wrap around those other settings, you know, the outpatient setting or certainly the ambulatory care settings that really can help us to guarantee that the patients we're doing in those settings are still getting great outcomes. So I think we're clear on our messaging that the best way to affect your surgical quality is to have an optimal perioperative program. Yep. But many times we have to deal also with the CFO whose <laughs> always question is always going to be, what's the ROI? Right. So what is the ROI? Well, Tom, it's a fascinating question. And so we get this asked us a lot. If I have a great perioperative program, if I have less complications, if we kill less people, well, how does that affect the bottom line of my hospital? And there's two ways to look at it, I guess. One is having a fantastic quality program that you can take back to payers and advertise when used for better rates that you can advertise in your community to really build your market share. Those are all certainly, I think, things that are very clear to CFOs. But even at a hard dollar standpoint, if you think about it, if you look at the national literature today, any complication occurring perioperatively today adds between about 20 and $40,000 to direct costs. And those numbers are pretty well backed up with lots of literature. Obviously, it varies in the type of patient and also the type of complication, but there's tens of thousands of dollars on the line for every single complication that's out there. On top of that, having a great perioperative program not only helps to prevent specific individual complications, but it makes the entire system so much more efficient. You'll have less same-day surgery cancellations. You'll have less turnover time in your operating room, lower length of stays, simply because of the fact that the patients have been better prepared, have had a chance to obviously manage the medical issues, but also to look at some of that post-discharge issues, the behavioral health issues, 
issues, some of the social determinants. A great perioperative system, again, is not just about producing a little bit longer and fancier h and It's about really managing patients, looking at all these different aspects. And when you apply that type of much higher efficiency, much better quality to a surgery system, what you'll see is multiple, multiple areas of cost savings, efficiency improvements, better market share positioning, and obviously a better place to negotiate with your payers. Absolutely. So how does the future look like, Rick? Tom, that's probably the, the biggest question of all, right? Mm-hmm. Where are we going to be? I think there's no question about the fact that every case that can possibly be done on the outpatient side will be pushed that way. There's no question in my mind. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think it'll be sort of a two-phase response to that. One is we'll push a lot of stuff into the outpatient setting, the ambulatory setting. We'll start to see a couple of disasters happen. In response to that, the hospitals are going to get much more dedicated about really establishing a much more rigorous perioperative system for all their patients. We're talking about inpatient surgeries, outpatient ambulatory, but also the procedural patients as well to put that really consistent system across the board. People will just see that if you're going to have an efficient system from a financial survival standpoint, from quality standpoint, you're going to have to have this broader-based perioperative system. I think the other thing which would be interesting, we'll see how the surgeons adapt to all this. As we mentioned a little bit before, I think the day and age when you could be a surgeon, just keep your head down and say, hey, I'm going to do a good job with this surgeon. My world's going to be terrific. I think surgeons really need to expand beyond that. They need to be a much broader perspective. They need to be really ultimate captain of the ship from soup to nuts, from, I say, before admission to way after discharge. That's the role the surgeons need to play in all this if they're going to be successful as well. Any closing thoughts on how organizations can take their surgical quality improvement to the next level? Absolutely. Start now. Don't wait. This is not a two-week quick fix. This is multi-years. Think about this. This is a transformational process your hospital has to go through. So start soon. There's lots of areas you can work on. You can work on post-op, post-discharge, the data pieces, the governance pieces. I always encourage hospitals, start with two things. Start working on your preoperative clinic and preoperative process. There's lots of great information out there, lots of great literature. Get some support from around the country. There's lots of organizations that can help you with that. So look at that preoperative piece first. And the second piece, which I think is critical as a starting point, is look at your surgery quality governance. How are you bringing together surgeons, anesthesia, medicine, nursing, pharmacy, all the folks involved in surgical care into one group that's meeting consistently to look at overall your quality. Let that group really dig in and really focus on how you're going to drive quality across the organization. A lot of times we see organizations are much too scattered in terms of who's working on quality. So those two key elements, a great preoperative clinic and process and working on surgical quality governance, those are the key elements to get hospitals started down the pathway of great surgical quality. I agree. And also never forget having that CDI team and coding team also involved in part of that process as well is going to be key. Right. You got to get that piece right. I mean, at the end of the day, for better or worse, we know this, you got to get paid for what you do. The hospital needs to be seen as taking on complicated patients, sick patients. I always tell physicians, you want credit for the work that you do. So take the time. Yes, the documentation is boring. We know that. Yeah. Take the time, get it right. Definitely pay big benefits down the road. Wow. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. I want to thank Rick for joining us again. And if you'd like to contact him, we've placed his email in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email at modernpracticepodcast.com. We posted a link in our resource section. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thanks for listening.